Welcome to Gerstel's Making Labs Work podcast. It's a show about analytical chemistry, interesting instruments, and the challenging analytical problems that they solve. Welcome to the newest episode of the Gerstel Making Labs Work podcast. Of course, today with me is Kurt, my co-host from the US. And hello, Kurt. Hey, Jan. Good to be back. And of course, we have a guest and our guest today is Emanuela Gianfrido. And I hope I pronounced that right. Emanuela, welcome to this podcast episode. Thank you, Jan. Thank you, Kurt, for having me. It's been a long time coming. I've really been looking forward to this. That's right. Yeah, Emanuela, um, I don't know you. Please let me know who you are, where you are and what are you doing? before we start with, with any deep, deep insight analytical chemistry things. Sure. So, yes. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Emanuela Gianfrido. I'm currently an associate professor of chemistry at the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry of the University of Toledo, Ohio. I want to specify Ohio because many people think I'm in Spain, but not <laughs> I'm in the U.S. Um, so... Um, my lab focuses on uh, uh, developing micro-separation approach, in particular applied to analytical uh, extractions for uh, micropollutants in the environment and biological samples. Uh, we work with a technique called solid phase uh, micro-extraction, SPME, uh, that can have various configurations, as we will discuss uh, later on. Uh, I did my uh, PhD at the University of Calabria, Italy, and then I moved uh, for my postdoc uh, to Canada, the University of Waterloo, where I worked in uh, uh, Professor Janos Publishing Lab. And uh, I started my lab here at the University of Toledo in uh, 2018. It's been a good uh, five years and a half. Yeah, I remember that well. Yeah, I remember talking to you right when you started, back when you were still an assistant professor. So, hey, congratulations. Yes. You're, you're moving on up. And I can Thank see why. You. Some cool publications. So, really cool. Thank you, Kurt. And we, we, we've known each other a long time. Um, and, of course, you've known Dr. Publish in a long time, too. Uh, we got involved with some of his work with thin film speaming, in which I know you got you got involved with, too. We, we've been we've been doing more, uh, I don't know, crazy things like wine and beer and things that taste funny kind of work, which is... Uh, my background. Uh, I'm not going to bore everyone with that again, but you're doing other things with it. Um, probably things a little more environmentally important. So uh, I, I know one of the things you were working with was trying to look at pollutants in produced water. That was, th that was one of the papers I know I read. Yes, that actually was a, a challenging, but very rewarding project at the end. Uh, we started this project in uh, 2019 in collaboration with uh, Professor Kevin Shug from University of Texas, Arlington. And uh, we had, as analytical chemists, often we, are we have to face challenges in, um, in the characterization of complex samples. So um, produced water was one of them. Produced water is basically uh, a waste byproduct of fracking activities, and especially now in the U.S., fracking is uh, a very trendy technique to extract mm -hmm. uh, oil and natural gas. And the thing is that, like, 
thousands of gallons of this produced water waste were generated in the U.S. every day. With that, it came the, the issue of how do we recycle, how do we dispose of this new type of waste. So in order to dispose something, you need to know what's in there because you need to um, develop and uh, strategize maybe like filtration procedure or the mediation procedure for this, uh, for this type of produced water. So produced water, just to give an idea um, how complex is it, um, it's a water-based sample that contains very high concentration of salts, very close to the level of brine. Uh, but also contains um, residues from oil. So it's a, it's a very complex mixture that is very hard to characterize. On top of that, uh, many fracking uh, uh, companies, they add a chemical blend that improve the fluidodynamic of the fracking process. So at the end of the day, um, you can really find a lot of chemicals in this produced water. Now, the wow. uh, challenge comes, okay, it's so complex. How do we characterize, especially in an untarget fashion? We never know what is in that produced water because every fracking site may use different uh, chemical blends or, um, you know, have different type of uh, oil composition and so on. So um, we took the challenge and they said, okay, let's give it a try. Because our target was doing uh, an untargeted screening of this sample, we wanted to use a extraction strategy that will allow to do that. Based on our previous experience with thin film microextraction, we thought that could be like the best option. And in fact, it revealed to be the best option, mm. both for direct extraction from the produced water, but also for extraction from its headspace. Mm -hmm. oh. The reason why we did both direct extraction and headspace extraction, because we wanted to, our hypothesis was, okay, can we get complementary chemical information by extracting from the headspace or directly from the water? And yes, we did. So we could, we could find chemicals, organic solubles, uh, as we call them, that were characteristic for the direct immersion, meaning we could only extract them by direct immersion, and few of them we could extract only in the headspace. At the end of the day, we were able to characterize more than 200 chemicals in uh, these produced water samples uh, with uh, only 15 minutes extraction. Uh, it took a little while to tweak all the extraction condition in uh, such a way that we could achieve very reproducible results. Imagine the more complex is your sample, mm -hmm. the more your reproducibility will be affected. Yeah, of course. So, yes. So uh, thin film revealed to be the best approach for us. Then uh, we actually expanded this work because we, uh, through a collaboration with uh, Kirchhoff's lab here in, uh, in my department, we also screened metals. 
So we had a very broad chemical, chemical characterization of this sample in terms of organic molecules and metals. And we, will act, we actually use chemometrics to merge all this data. Uh, and uh, we were able to differentiate the chemical profiling based on the sampling site. Oh, that's really cool. So, so you're doing metals with this too. I mean, okay. Let, let's back let's back up for everyone for a second, because I don't think yes. everyone knows thin. I think a lot of the a lot of who our listeners know what spemi is. Not everyone knows what thin film spemi is. Yep. So we should right. probably back up back up for a second and explain that. So, I, I could do it, but you were there when it was being developed. So I, I, yes. I'll, I'll let you I'll let you do that. Yes. So spemi, uh, we all know it in the format of the classical fiber. Yes. And uh, although the fiber works great for so many applications, it can be fully automated. So it provides so many uh, advantages for high throughput analysis. One of the limitations is the amount of sorbent we can immobilize on the device because it's a small fiber. It's only like one centimeter long and the thickness can range from 50 to 100 micrometers. What do we do when we need a higher extraction efficiency and possibly a faster extraction? Well, we take that extraction phase and we spread it on a flat surface. In that way, we are creating a thin film that has a, a higher um, surface area to volume ratio, which speed up the analysis time. And on top of that, because of the, the geometry of the thin film, you can immobilize more extraction phase on it, and that will enhance the extraction efficiency. Yeah. So that's the main difference between fiber SPME and thin film SPME. And for these listeners who don't know anything about SPME and thin film SPME, it's just to collect chemical things out of the water and out of the air or headspace in, in, in a sample. So to, to get much more information than instead of using direct the sample, because there are some limitations. If you have water sample in a gas chromatography, it's a little bit difficult. And it's uh, to extract yeah, the, the compounds the, the, of, of interest make them much, much more visible in the, in the GC later on. So that's, that's a very, very far other side of um, explaining that because we know we have some listeners, they, they don't know so much about this part of the analytical uh, things. Yes. And thank you for clarifying that because, um, yes, so SPME is a great technique, not only for cleanup, but for a selective pre-concentration of molecules. That sounds better and, uh, than my words, yes. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. But, uh, you know, uh, with this work with the produced water, it would have been so difficult if we decide to do it by, for example, diluting the sample and shooting it in the... Um, in the GC, because oh, yeah. we will have injected salts, we will have injected oils, we will have contaminated the GC. Yep, yep. Um, and that's where SPME and thin film can provide an advantage for uh, interface with chromatographic systems because you leave all the dirt <laughs> outside mm -hmm. yep. of the instrument. Yeah, you because just yeah. selectivity, of course. Yep. Yeah, it's always selectivity. Yeah, one of the things that's cool about it for me is that uh, the number of different phases you can get on it 
we've been able to get a lot more polar stuff out of say whiskey or tea or a lot of human beverages. I mean, you're talking with produced water, you're talking about something someone would never drink, but thin film is actually being used. (laughs) Hopefully not, (laughs) but, but we're also using it for things you do drink and we're getting some, some, some great results with it. it. It does, it does a lot of cool things, but, but back to the metals. So, so are you doing the metals like as it gets suspended in the thin film, doing some kind of digestion after, or is the metals done on the same sample or what's that workflow look like? That that was even my question. Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah, curious. For the metal, um, we are using a special sorbent that was synthesized in the lab of my collaborator, Professor Kirchhoff. So they use this, uh, they call it polypyrrole sorbent that is hmm. selective for metals. Wow. So we didn't immobilize this, sol- this sorbent on a thin film. We just did what we call dispersive SPE, solid phase. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got, yes. I got it. So we suspended makes... this uh, powder basically in the sample, then we recovered it, we desorbed the metal. And uh, this sorbent is, uh, is interesting because it can extract a lot of metal, but it has... Uh, uh, um, selectivity and enhanced selectivity for their earth uh, elements that are the one that usually are in a very low concentration in these samples but we oh, were still cool. able to recover them so, so you've got this you've got this produced water you've got metals in it and a variety of those you've got petrochemicals in it because it's coming from the geology that the, the geology that would produce natural gas, which would be petrochemicals, and all these other additives. I mean, th- that sounds really complicated. Do you've got, and you said you characterized two hundred or so. That that's got to be even more. I mean, it, it's got to be, especially for non-targeted work, which is always challenging. I mean, how 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 far do you see this going in terms of how many more components? It's got to be probably in the thousands. Exactly. So we um, imagine our chromatographic run was 60 minutes, meaning it was quite long. Um, I don't think we we can see everything. I can see we can extract actually way more than we can see in the GC because uh, we I believe we can extract also compounds that can be analyzed with LC. We didn't get mm. there yet, but that would be the next step in our uh, work is to analyze, it's to develop an untarget method for liquid chromatography. So that will give us the full range of chemicals, GC amenable and the liquid chromatography amenable. Also, I think an implementation of this work could be done by switching from a GC to a GCGC, bidimensional uh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, chromatography. So our chromatographic space will be even uh, broader and we could we could be able to see like even more analytes than the one we have identified. Yeah, GCGC is well known in the petrochemical industry for being able to characterize lots of petrochemical uh, groups. Mm-hmm. So that, that that's really cool. Yeah, you know, I always wonder too. I had a thought as you were talking about it. Besides produced water, you know, the, like the oil sands in Canada. I mean, that's the same kind of thing. You've got surface water that's being exposed to oil sands. It's almost got to be similar. And then they're, I think they're extracting stuff out of the sands. So there's chemicals involved with that too. I have a colleague at Yale who's involved in that. I think, I think I'm going to connect you two after sure. <laughs> after the podcast. <laughs> so, sure, that would be great. Yeah, that, that's really neat. 
Yeah, yeah. Thin films this is probably the most one of the more exciting things that have gone on uh, lately. Uh, I wish back when I was doing milk and orange juice that I had access to that. So, but it it, it hasn't stopped there. You're working on something else now, uh, something about biocompatible films too. For, for yes, Spini? yes. We actually uh, have published um, recently a paper where we developed a fully automated workflow for gas chromatography analysis of xenobiotics in plasma. So xenobiotics are all those molecules that we can find in plasma, like human plasma or uh, animal plasma, but they are not supposed to be there. So they don't come from the organism. It's something that comes from the outside. They can be drugs because drugs are not supposed to be in our system unless we take them, pharmaceuticals. Or they can be uh, environmental chemicals that get into our bloodstream through environmental exposure. So although there is a lot of work done, even with SPME, to characterize uh, uh, biofluids via uh, SPME-LC, there is not much work done in terms of gas chromatography. And the main limitation um, was that the type of SPME fibers extraction phases were not really compatible to direct immersion, to be directly exposed to complex samples. A few years ago, I think about like seven years ago, um, new biocompatible extraction phases were released in the market and uh, we started using them a lot. We developed them at the University of Waterloo. This is, was one of the main uh, work that I've done during my postdoc time there. Uh, we use them for a lot of food analysis. Mm. So we analyzed samples like grapes, strawberries. Then we moved into um, more complex uh, foods such as uh, avocado. We even analyzed seaweed. Our collaborators uh, at uh, um, Millipore Sigma, Sigma analyzed uh, spaghetti sauce. Uh, <laughs> okay. So cool. this, uh, yes, we basically uh, went from very healthy food to less <laughs> healthy foods. <laughs> we covered them all. Uh, and then once I moved here at Toledo, since I'm, I'm very interesting to understand link of exposure between environment and uh, living system. I thought, okay, I really want to try these biocompatible fibers for biofluids. And that's what we did with this, uh, uh, with this work. So we use uh, uh, just small amount of plasma. We uh, developed the method spiking pharmaceutical and pesticides. And we could automate the whole workflow from the extraction to the rinsing of the of the device before desorption, and even the desorption in the GC was automated using uh, Gerstel MPS, and oh, cool. uh, it worked quite well. Yeah, I, I really wish I, that's something. Again, I'm showing my age. <laughs> I uh, I really wish I had access to that earlier on. I uh, I actually uh, right, right when I uh, uh, got out of graduate school, I remember when I was at international paper, I took a class on SPME from Dr. Pavlichin. So that kind of dates me. But I, uh, <laughs> I um, yes, but but anyway, the you know I remember doing orange juice with SPME, and yeah, it, it, at at the time. Um, 
it would work if you knew what you're looking for. We could extract out uh, impurities from paper or the things we were looking for. But it pretty much guaranteed the fiber would be producing limonene for life. So, yes. so, so, um, I really like to try out some of these fibers on, on, on some of these food matrices that uh, are much more challenging and avocado. That's got to be a good one. I mean, talk about high lipid content. I mean, that's gotta be a, that's gotta be a real challenge. That was a tough project. We also did a soy milk, but the avocado one, that was tough. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can only imagine. Wow. So yeah, so so many advancements in this, and yeah, the, the other thing we 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 skipped over because it's kind of understood between the three of us, but there's no solvents in this. So uh, there is no solvents whatsoever. Exactly. So so my, my wife manages a. Uh, it's it's funny. My wife, uh, Emanuela, and uh, and myself are all Ohio natives, and uh, now anyway, and uh, so my wife runs a drinking water lab in Ohio, and and and, and for her, when you talk about. Uh, you know, trying to characterize water, it's always some kind of methylene chloride extraction. So hopefully as this, as this technology uh, uh, gets more advanced, we can, we can get every, everybody into the solvent-free world uh, of dealing with these analytes. Yes, and there is a lot of push from our analytical extraction and analytical technology community to really go toward green, greener methodology. Yep. Yep. We owe this to the next generation. We owe this to the, our planet. So we are doing our part. And I think uh, the contribution that the invention of SPME has given to this field, it's, it, it, it was important to, to really um, bring awareness on the fact that greener analytical chemistry is possible, starting from the sample product. Yeah, they always used to give um, the analytical world a bad name. Like, well, you're 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 analyzing for methylene chloride, and you're using methylene chloride. You know, exactly. which, <laughs> you can't have it both ways. And well, we just had to at the time because when when all this started in the '80s and early '90s, we just didn't have access to anything else. So it's really nice to be able to get to to get to get this point and to see these papers of yours that uh, showed us how far it's going. Mm-hmm. So. Like I said, I'm I'm just jealous. I don't get to do that now. Uh, but on the other hand, I, I get to talk to cool people like you to learn to learn what's going on. So it, it always makes me happy. So yeah, I have just a question, um, relative starting from from the beginning. Um, who is asking for this kind of analytics? Is it an academic approach or is it also commercial? So is you is your um, approach that, that you help commercial industries? to make their analytic better or is it an academic approach in the moment? So wh- where are you coming from yeah. for, for doing um, this direction? You know, I think um, it started with academia because, you know, uh, in academia, we are a little bit more flexible on yep. what we can, but also what we want to do. And, you know, the push always, always comes from, um, if you allow me, from money, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The more we can save, uh, the more we can do. And, uh, you know, um, especially right now with the, um, like, with the huge increase in prices that all chemical supplies have experienced, saving on solvents, saving on energy. It, it's it's critical. It's really yeah. important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe everything started from there, but then people realize, hey, I can save in terms of how much waste I'm producing in my lab. 
as Kurt mentioned, you like, for example, from my point of view, if I do environmental analysis and I want to monitor and I want to try to mitigate environmental exposure to living systems, I cannot pollute the environment in the process mm -hmm. more than I want to avoid, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah that all makes sense. Yep. Yeah. And I, th and I think when people looked at the, the when they were doing liquid liquid extraction originally, I think I think no one figured the cost in of the waste disposal either, and, and it's significant mm -hmm. now. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it, it, uh, a four liter jug of uh, methylene chloride costs you know whatever it costs, but the the cleanup cost after that's got to be at least as much or more. So so no one was really thinking about that earlier on. Uh, that's why the thin film technology looks like it's going to be the way this goes. Um, yes, for sure. So it's really, it's really encouraging. It's a small so. device you can even do on-site sampling without yep. having to carry jugs of solvents with you. Or even yep. without bringing the sample back to the lab. You just bring your team fill and you bring yeah. it back to the lab for analysis. Yeah, for yep. those of you who haven't seen one, there's going to be a link in the uh, there'll be a, there'll be a link in the talk description where you can get some pictures of these. So, um, so yeah, they're, they're really cool. Um, they, they were developed as, as Manuela said uh, in uh, in University of Waterloo. They're being produced here in, in Mulhamondurur now. Uh, so they're really cool devices, and uh, we'll get you some links to all that. So, yeah, I'm glad we had a chance to talk about all that. Um, so those are two great papers. Uh, what are you where are you headed to next? What's what's next on the radar and where do you want to go? So next on the radar, we are uh, addressing one of the hot topics now in environmental science, but also analytical chemistry that it's analysis of PFAS. Yes. And polyfluoroethyl substances. Um, we have already um, we have already developed like SPME workflows for uh, ionic PFAS, meaning our workflow combines SPME, both in the fiber and tin film format with liquid chromatography. But now the real challenge uh, that we are addressing right now is analysis of volatile PFAS. Yes. Because uh, PFAS are definitely in the water, but we want to understand how much of these PFAS can also partition in air. So what we are developing now is a fully automated uh, a workflow with our um, Gerstel MPS and uh, GC to analyze um, fluorotelomer alcohols and other volatile PFAS. We start from water samples and then we increase the complexity of, of the sample. Another exciting work that we are um, now actually addressing, we recently started a partnership with the US, um, yeah, USDA, uh, where we actually are doing an untargeted screening of agricultural leachates. So Ooh, that's those cool. water that are used to, um, for irrigation in the nurseries. So we want to know after irrigation, like all these uh, plants are in plastic pots. So after irrigation, how, how much of those plasticizer will contaminate the outflow of these uh, irrigation waters? You know, I, I'm glad you brought that up too, because I see that every spring we, we, we buy all these plants for our, for our garden and our, our, our garden and our, we have all these potted plants we put on our deck at, at home. And it seems like every year we've got like 30 or 40 or 50 
empty plastic pots that go someplace. Fortunately, those are usually flowers and I'm not eating them, but you've got a good point that <laughs> for, 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 for the ones that aren't flowers and, you know, we are, we are growing like everybody else, you know, spices and things. Um, yeah, I wonder, I wonder how much I'm picking up. It's probably the usual actors, right? Like the phthalates and bisphenol A and things like that. Yeah, and we're especially focusing on uh, um, on these waters that are used for greenhouses. So in the greenhouse, all these plastic are subjected to heat uh, mm. that we shouldn't experience. But I think in Ohio, in these days, we are experiencing similar temperature <laughs> that what they have in mm-hmm. a greenhouse. Mm-hmm. But that definitely uh, accelerates the release of plasticizer in this uh, irrigation water. So <laughs> we are we are doing this type of assessment. Yeah, that, that's it's funny you bring that up. I got really lucky. Um, so ironically, you're in Toledo, Toledo, Ohio, right now. I'm uh, when I'm not in Germany, I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. So we're in the same same state. But I'm here in Germany at the moment, and um, huh? I've been I've been talking to my wife. I'm lucky. Um, the temperature here has been very reasonable in Fahrenheit, right around 82 or 83. But I think you hit 96 or 97 this yes. week, <laughs> yes. which is 37 C. So yeah, that, yes. that that's pretty darn hot. Uh, and you're right yeah, about how. Our European uh, listeners, this is like about 41, 42 degrees Celsius. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it got <laughs> so crazy. So we're suffering a little bit here in Ohio right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but your point's right, though. I mean, a, a lot of this stuff where people thought, okay, I'll make a plastic, I'll make a plastic pot for a plant in, uh, in a greenhouse and it'll be fine. Um, I don't think the, you know, the temperature acceleration uh, that was built into the thinking of that, well, at the time, no one would have. It's just getting incredibly hot. So th- I think this is a great topic of research. I'm looking forward to reading that paper too. That's going to be cool. Yes. We're looking forward to to see what this water contains. Yep. And we will use the film to do that. So, so. And you've probably got a very busy, busy academic calendar coming up too. Did we manage to catch you right before classes started, I hope? Yes, we start classes (laughs) next week. So right on time. (laughs) Exactly. I I, I can only imagine. Oh, uh, I remember my my university days uh, very fondly, but uh, I also remember being a TA and doing a lot of the teaching and that was a lot, a lot more work. And of course, from your point of view as a professor, it's it's on top of that, that's even more. So it's got to be a busy time in your life right now. So, <laughs> yes, I'm lucky to have a very motivated uh, research team that, uh, you know, the research we do is because of them. So I, I'm lucky to, to work with very passionate people. Yeah, no, and I agree with you there. the The value of any organization, whether it's a research group or a company, it, it's all the people. the The people make everything happen. It's all about who you can get around you. So, yeah which is one of the reasons I always like talking to you. You always got great ideas. So uh, it's, 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 it's always fun to talk. So thank you, Kurt. I want to thank you. So then thank you for taking the time today. Um, it, it's, it's been great talking to you. Um, I keep threatening to come and see you. Uh, it was, it was actually scheduled and then COVID came. So I, need, yes. <laughs> I hope they can get, hopefully they can get up there this fall uh, uh, during yeah, our, during our after classes. So it'd be wonderful. Well, thanks again for coming. Um, and Jan, uh, for, for our listeners who don't know, Jan, Jan's the brains behind the technical uh, technical operation here who makes everything work. So I want to thank Jan too for all this. It, it, it's, it's, it's good to be back. We had a we had a dry summer in terms of podcasts for several reasons, uh, mainly due to it being summer. So we'll leave it at that. <laughs> but but we're, we're, we're just glad to be back. And uh, I hope you all have enjoyed this episode. And uh, we're looking forward to having you around for more. And um, 
Manuela, we'll probably wind up having you back uh, here before too long when you have some more data to show. Sure, definitely. Thank you for having me today. It was a pleasure chatting with you both. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, awesome. Th thank you also from my side. Uh, it was a pleasure to to listen to you both to to get some informations about or deep informations about Synfilm, Svimi, and Svimi. Um, yes, I'm I'm, I'm very uh, interested in getting the results or seeing the results for uh, the PFAS and also the the plants stuff you are mentioned. So hopefully we speak us again. So thank you very much at this point from Germany and um, have a nice time and. Please let us know where we can find you that we put that in the show notes. And for our listeners, you don't have to write that down. Um, look in the show notes, look on our website where the podcast is mentioned. And then you can get all the informations uh, where you can reach us. And of course, much more important, how to reach Emanuela to, to stay in contact with her and her team and to, to get yeah the, the newest information about these technologies. So, yep. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. Well, thank you, everyone, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.